Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to this Captain's Collective podcast series, Behind the Bahamas, where each podcast we sit down with guides, lodge owners, and fishing industry leaders to discuss stories, lessons, and the lore that makes these waters special. This podcast is brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, Florida Fishing Products, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. To learn more about our sponsors and to see special content, head to captainscollective.com. Today's guest not only knows the beauty of the Bahamas, but also the brutality that comes along with it. Travis Sands, known by many as the Flats Phantom, his father was a bone fishing guy, and by the age of 18, he had begun to forge his own path into guiding. As a child, Travis watched guide boats head out to fish every morning from a nearby bridge, and soon enough, their daily ritual became his lifelong dream. On August 24, 2019, Travis lived through Hurricane Dorian, the most intense tropical cyclone recorded to hit the Bahamas. This experience changed Travis' entire outlook on life and helped shape him into the guide he is today. In this podcast, Travis shares his story, the way that he approaches fishing, and tips that he has learned from being raised on the water and fishing with some of the industry's best. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective, Behind the Bahamas. sons or my chickens. <laughs> there we go. Point your out at 11 o'clock. Do you see him? Say, yeah. The way I talk to you, I soothe you down. Uh, like, I was flying cats. I can see the buck fever. I can see the knees, like, shaking. And I'm always in the back of the air, like, control yourself, John. Control yourself. I could see the panic from here. Control yourself. Woosa. Woosa. <laughs> Felt like I was on top of the world. <laughs> Doing my first fly around without having to pay for it. That's a gift I'll never forget because that got me started in a big way. They grew up with, it, with the engine and the car and all that. We grew up with everything else. That love for fishing. I used to run away from school just to go fishing. They don't do that these days. They run away to go in the mall. <laughs> yeah. Right to Hurricane Dorian, Category 5 storm hitting the Bahamas, heading for the southeast. One of the strongest Atlantic hurricanes in recorded... There was no road to drive because there's water and debris everywhere. I, I jump out of the window at 1 o'clock at night in the full run of the hurricane. I'm like, I can't sleep and you're not knowing if my family's safe or not. God, and everybody's looking at me like a ghost. They're like, dude, where do you come from in this? I'm like, somebody gave me this house direction and I know my family's here and I wasn't stopping until I got here. And sure enough, I got there... Well, hey, Travis, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been fun to get to hang out with you and the Soulfly guys the past couple days and uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, once this weather passes a little bit more time on the water. But I appreciate you for sitting down today and making some time to be on the podcast. Man, I'm glad to be here, man. Just podcast with you. Yeah. So you have a really interesting story about kind of growing up. Um, and I'd love just to hear about for you kind of growing up with your dad as a guide and how you fell in love with fishing and how you got into guiding. Oh, man. Uh, guiding, growing up in South Andres and the whole bone fishing industry was pretty amazing because like everybody that I basically know are bone fishing guides and growing up watching them go out every day because we have in Little Creek a bridge that all of the boats would have to go underneath to go to the west side so you could basically sit on the bridge early in the morning and see up to like 
12 bone fishing boats going underneath the bridge with clients in the boat. It was like the most amazing thing you can imagine growing up. So every morning I'll get up early enough to go on the bridge and sit and just watch everybody go underneath the bridge and go through the creeks to the west side. And it was just so amazing to me. I never knew what it was about, but I find it amazing that all these guys in the boat with so much tourists that's taking them out and coming back and having talking about the experience on the flats and having such a good time. It was intrigued from the jump. Yeah, so you're a little kid, you're watching them going out. You didn't really know what it meant, but in your mind, what did you think was going on? I was like, they kind of talked, they told me a little bit about it, but and they told me about their adventures, and it was always like, I'm like, so people actually come to the Bahamas from all the way over the world to catch this fish. And you, these, my dad and the rest of the, uh, my dad friends, them, they track these fish down, and I'm like, what is it about? Like, why is it so important, you know? And I was always interested in, as I grew, and my dad started to take me out more and teach me how to cast and what's not. And I just basically fell in love with it. You know, yeah. just hunting a fish, and you gotta be so quiet and so stealthy. And it's like, your mind is cleared of everything what's going on in the world, and that moment is just you and that fish. And it's like, I think it's a primitive behavior as men, because we, we, we're born to hunt, we're hunters. By, by nature, we're hunters. And just being able to do it and still to the day, and we do it, and the game has changed so much with a fly rod. It's got even harder, and like I love it, and just basically the technicalities of it, I love everything about it. <laughs> so tell me about your first bonefish. Oh, my first bonefish. Like my dad had a fly rod when I was young. They were pretty expensive back in the day, so he's really strict with his fly rod. When he's leaving for work, he's like, "You're not to touch my fly rod," because they were really expensive and they were really hard to get a grasp on when I was he was younger. And so he was like, never let me use it too much. So I'll wait till he leaves to go to work, and the minute he's out the door, and I get see, cause like where we live, we we didn't live too far from the lodge. So I'll watch all of the boats leave from the shoreline and go out to the flats. And the minute I can see he's out of sight. I grab this fly rod off of the rack and I will take off down the shoreline, go fishing, <laughs> and I will just be beating this fly rod all day and I'll try to put it back in the same spot he had it. And what's not, and every time I touched it, he could have tell. And he'd be like, come like, you touched my rod. And I'll be like, no, I didn't touch your rod. And this went on for about four years. And I'm like, how do you know I touch your fly rod in the daytime when you're not here? And he takes me over to the fly rod and he goes, he runs his hand down the leader. You say, you see these wind knots? These were not in here when I left this morning. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's how he's catching me all of these years because of the wind knots I left in the lead. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it. But he's like, this is how I know you touched that rod. I'm like, ah. So I had to learn to not make wind knots in the lead to get away with it. <laughs> Do you remember the first bonefish you hooked up on? Most definitely. It was by, I caught it by myself. I was so excited I kept it. You know, and I brought, <laughs> I brought it home to my grandmother, and she's excited that I caught it. Cause they love, like, the locals love eating them, mm -hmm. but I didn't know the, 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 the value of them. So I guess I took it to my grandmother, and she's excited. She said, oh, this is a great job. And then my dad got it later on that day. I'm like, man, I caught a bonefish on your fly rod, and I gave it to my grandmother. He's like, did you take it home to her? I was like, yeah. He's like, they're worth more alive. You know that? I'm like, and I didn't understand it at that point, mm -hmm. but I, I was so excited. I caught it. I took it home. And like after that, I was just like snake bitten. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tell me about how you got into being a guide. What was the path from, from that moment, taking the bonefish to grandma to, to becoming a, a paid guide? Uh, becoming a guide was very interesting because not be, I didn't really get into it just because my dad was a guide. I basically grew up around a lodge in South Island's Bears Lodge from I was 
basically 12, 11. I used to be around the lodge every different day with clients, and they'd be bringing in their rods. And some of them will take me out on the shoreline on the beach, and we'll be casting back and forth. I did maintenance around the lodge as well. So I'll always be in the midst of a lot of fly fishermen from very young on. And everybody would be like, even the lodge, when I got older, they'd be like, hey, man, Travis, if you want to, you could take the flats boat and go out and explore and like figure it out a little bit if you want to. And I basically jumped onto that, and like every opportunity I get, I will take one of the flats boats from the lodge and I'll go into the creeks. I got lost quite a few times. I spent a few nights out there. <laughs> <laughs> Did they need their boat the next day? <laughs> no, they, they would do it like when it's like an all season or things are slow so I could have the boat for however long I want. And it was crazy and it was so funny. I One day I got lost and I couldn't figure it out. And I was like lost for at least, uh, no, I'll say four hours. And I was just pondering what was going on. And I kind of looked down at the flat, and the, they have this dark mud in the creeks. But if an engine run over it, it wakes up the mud underneath it, so it creates a trail where you can see a boat just past that area. And I was, I'm like, what made this long trail? I'm like, it must be an engine mark. And I kind of followed that engine mark where that person was running really shallow, and it took me back to a spot that I recognized. I'm like, ah! Oh. So that's how I got through a lot of creeks. I'll follow engine trails through creeks and all snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was really, and I caught on to it, and it was like, it was over after that. Yeah, I, uh, what was your first gig as a guide? What was your first day as a guide? Man, my first day as a guide, I, I was like, 18 and it was my dad showed me a lot and i've already knew a lot but i was not a great hunter at that point so i but i know what mudding fish was and i know they were pretty easy so the first time i took clients out i took them on like a big uh, mud of bonefish and they're like i guess dropped the anchor and they're casting and they're catching fish and having a good time and one of the clients goes all right Charles, this is a fun but can we go hunt some fish now and i was like aren't we hunting fish? And he's like, nah, this is a mud. We got to go along the shoreline and like track them down. And so they kind of gave me a little idea on what my dad them did. I tried to like follow the path they showed me and what's not. And just putting it all together after that was amazing because I figured out catching a fish in the mud is no way near exciting as like pulling a fish down, tracking him, seeing him tailing, seeing him working the shoreline and putting a cast right on him. It was like a whole different ball game than just putting that anchor in that mud. Mm -hmm. It was not, I just even like made me even fall in love with it even more. Mm. So how old were you when you started guiding for a lodge? Uh, 18, the first time I started, like I took clients out of my own, I was 18. Was it, where, wh which lodge was it? It was uh, Deep Creek's Lodge. It was a lodge not so far from Bears Lodge. And this guy, he started up like a four uh, bedroom lodge and he was the first guy to really give me a chance. To, because I, Bears was like, they had a team already and they say, if I want to get in the game, I could get more exposure elsewhere. And then if, they, if I really, if I really are great at it, they'll consider giving me a job. And I went on to, from that little lodge and I started to make a name for myself and a few other lodges in the area would call me with, with free days and was not name when they were booked out. And I started to get like work from other lodges. And when I started to get really like good at it and figuring it out, like Bears Lodge like, all right, now nah, we think we're ready for you to come on board. But it was kind of like, it's not fair because I already put in so much work with the other little lodges. And I was like, yeah, but I always, I th always thought Bears Lodge is the big league, but I was excited to leave as well and work with those guys. So as a kid watching these guides go out, did you feel like the whole time that that was achievable for you? Or was that something that felt far-fetched? No, that was achievable for me because growing up on the family islands, there's not much jobs to choose from. So when I saw guiding, I did, I know I loved it and I knew I wanted to be a part of it. Just because I like made sure I wake up early every morning to see those guys go out. And it was just like, 
I want to do this and this mm. is what I'm going to do and I'm not going to stop until I'm really great at it and I'm doing the same thing and I just never gave up and I just went all out at it. Well, what do you think when you see a kid today watching you go out? Man, I was like, I'll see kids like they'd be like, they'll come and ask me questions and like now back in the day, nobody took videos and what's not. So I'll actually have this, I'll show kids videos of me bone fishing and fly fishing. And he's like, oh, I'm, I don't even know this was this cool. I'm like, yeah, so they're thinking you're fishing, you're just covered in sting bait all day and you're in the water. I'm like, nah, sometimes you don't even have to get wet. You're just in the boat pulling around with a fake lure so there's no bait involved. And so a lot of people in the Bahamas still don't grasp the idea of fly fishing. But once I show them it and, and show videos of it, it totally changes their perspective on the entire thing. So I, I know for you too, like in life, you've, you've hit a lot of adversity, one of those being Hurricane Dorian. Could you tell the story about that hurricane and kind of what you had to go through with all of that? Oh, Hurricane Dorian was a kicker, man. Uh, I was on the island of Abaco and basically there was not much, there was a hurricane warning, but it wasn't like they didn't made it as severe as it should have been. And so I stayed. And in the midst of staying there, like, I had my family, I took her to her mom's house, and I was staying over at a friend's house. And I was just, like, chilling out in about, I'll say, three hours before the hurricane really hit. Like, it was really quiet. And I had a call from a friend of mine from the States, because he was basically monitoring from the States. And he's like, Charles, where are you? I'm like, I'm on Abaco. And he's like, dude, this is going to be real, like what are you doing are you getting off i'm like nah there's no time to leave the island anymore no there's no flight leave and he's like well dude like get dressed because this is going to be a doozy and i kind of like i took his word right then and i got dressed like i had a full like gore-tex like sim suits on i put all of my passport my family passport important documents inside my uh yeti backpack and whatever i needed and i was over at a friend's house and i'm with my water boots on i'm sitting down before this and the wind starting to pick up and I'm sitting down, I'm in, uh, in the house with about three friends. And they're like in short pants and, and like in, in short sleeves and they're playing domino. And I'm fully dressed in my rain gear in the house. And they're like kind of laughing at me. And they're like, Charles, why don't you take off your clothes? I'm like, dude, a friend just called me. He's like, this thing's going to be bad. You guys may want to put on some longer pants, put on some sneakers, put on a hoodie, get your important documents, put them in a bag. Cause this could be bad. I'm like, think about it. if it hits and you guys don't have your important documents secured, they're gone. So like, they, they took my word, they, everybody got dressed and like, and like, I kid you not, in half an hour, the house that we was in, the roof was gone. Like we're in there and all of a sudden this thing just hits. It was so bad. First thing, like the winds was so strong, we were sitting inside the house and all of a sudden the roof basically raises and like, like sucks up and air, basically all the windows got shattered air rush into the house the roof you could hear like it's a big hand like ripping this roof off you could hear the nails like getting ripped out of the plywood as they break and i'm like we're, so we're hiding between like hallways with my friends and all of a sudden this roof gets get ripped off and all of the debris off of the roof came down in the house so you had like two by fours and two by six in the in, inside the house swirling around whipping and hitting and breaking glass and stuff so we couldn't stand there so I, and I look out of the window and there was a down backhoe buried in the dirt. And I was like, if there's gonna be someplace safe, it's gonna be behind that backhoe because the wind was coming from a certain direction. And so me and my few friends, as we went to make it to the backhoe, we interlock arms and we were like walking really low and, and just about 
couple of feet from the back of this strong gust of wind came and basically chucked us right back to the house. I'm talking, picked us up off our leg and swept us and slammed us right back on the house. So basically we had to crawl on our stomach to get like about 60 yards, crawl on our stomach to get behind this damn back hole. And when we get there, we were just here bunkered down. And then we could hear these panicking, screaming and people running around out there and what's not. And there's this family that the, the, the lived in the same yard where we hide behind this back hole. They was running, trying to get into their car to say they drive to a shelter and what's not. And I'm like, dude, you guys are not gonna make it there. They're like, what are you talking about the cars right there? I'm like, there's down lamp poles everywhere. There's water. How are you gonna drive to the shelter? And it kind of clicked for them. So I'm like, the safest thing is to do is to get behind this back hole with us. And they, they took my advice and we started handing the women and kids over the back hole and pull them behind. And we basically stuffed the women and kids in the middle of all the men. We had a few guys standing over them, a few guys in the back of them, I was in the front. So we were kind of like protecting them from debris as things was getting whipped around. And I was like kneeling down and the wind was so strong, you, could, you couldn't breathe, you couldn't take normal breath. It would suck the air out of your mouth, your eardrum was like you were deep water diving, it was, compression was tight, your eyeball was bulging, the, sand, the wind was whipping around sand so fast and so hard, it stripped the paints off of cars. And so you couldn't even open your eye, you couldn't breathe, your eardrum was swollen, kids just had on clothing and it was just like a nightmare. And it, we, we kind of endured it for like 20 minutes, and we got a break when the eye came over us. We got a break, and I was like, if we're going to get out here, it's now. Because you could see in the distance, you could see the other end of the hurricane. I'm talking, you could see the breeze just getting ripping in the distance. You could see it coming. So we kind of, like, took off, and we was looking for a safe place to hide into. And then I had this hammer, and we found this building that the roof didn't got destroyed. You know, the person already abandoned This was someone's house, but they already abandoned it. So we grabbed the hammer, and we ripped off one of the plywoods off of the door and all of those women and kids in that area that was with us, we stuffed them in that house but I couldn't stay there because my family was about six to seven blocks down the street. I had to make sure to get to them to make sure they were safe where I left out of moms. So I leave them and as I'm going to my family there's so many other stranded women and kids and I guess couldn't leave other women and kids stranded. So I'm helping women and kids, pulling them out of down buildings and, and I'm directing them back to the house that we just broke into for safety because you can see the other rest of Wave of Hurricane is coming. I'm like, you guys can't stay in the open. The, the, the tail end is coming. It's going to be bad. So I'm getting them there and I'm doing this so much but at the same time, I'm losing time. I'm like, I actually had to stop trying to help people to get to my family. And when I finally get to the house where they were at, Half of the roof was gone. I like my heart just sunk when I saw it. But when I got to the house, they were she was my family were already evacuated to a friend's house. But her sister and her mom and her brother were still there trying to get goods or whatever to get out of this house to get. So I caught them. And I was like, "Where's like where's?" I asked my family, I'm "Like where's my girlfriend and my kids?" She's like, "Oh, we already kind of got them to the other house, and we trying to get some stuff. We trying to get there." So I'm like, "All right, cool." And I'm helping them get together, and we managed to scramble back to the house where they dropped off. Uh, uh, my girlfriend and my kid at that time. And so we, it's like the water was pretty deep at that house where they took us. So you couldn't just drive up. You had to get out and walk up like water up to your neck or your chest to walk to the house. Then you, it was on a hill. And so when I got to the house and then we got all of this, got them to the house, I'm like looking through the house. Like, I'm like, where are they? Where are they? So I asked the house owner, I'm like, what did a woman and a child came in here and a little boy? He's like, no. And I, was, I started like full panic. And at this time, the hurricane already started, the tail end already hit. So it's on, like debris, you could hear things blowing up in the distance, dogs falling now. It's still chaos. I'm in full panic now because I can't find my girlfriend and my kid and her and her little brother. So I'm in full panic and as dark fall, like you could hear screams in the distance. And the house we were in, 
the like the wind just came over and shattered all the glass. And basically, when the wind blew the glass in, glass and shattered, and just went into women and kids, pierced their skin, and just was like stabbing people. So we kind of grabbed like bureaus and beds and chuck them against windows and door to keep the wind and other debris from coming inside. But as like the night con continued on, you could hear people screaming and banging on the door and, and hollering. And then we actually had to let some people in. The water's so high at this point, we couldn't open doors. We had to like pull people and evacuate people through windows because if you open the door, the water would have just flooded in. And so I'm like all night, I'm vacuuming. And fast we get somebody new into the house, they're complaining about a relative that they left in the house that couldn't get out. And I'm so me and three other men was like, I'm like, what are you gonna do? They're like, I'm like, where are your family? And they had the records in. So me and three other guys were like evacuating like people, older women or guys that couldn't walk because they're arthritis or they're too down to swimming. So we found like a kayak and we was like evacuating old people for like up to three hours. And I, I'm like, but I'm still at this point, I still don't know where my family's at. And I'm in like full panic. And so it so happened, somebody that we helped into the house, there's like, and we was asking questions, did you see her? Uh, a woman with a kid and live what she's like oh yeah and she knew my girlfriend she's like yes and she said she jumped into a blue jeep and she called the guy and she, it was Lance jeep and she the jeep took her and i was like where do Lance live and it was like from the spot we was at you say Lance live about six blocks that way and that but there was no road to drive because there's water and debris everywhere so i basically i couldn't sleep i'm I, it's like probably after one o'clock in the night i jump out of the window at one o'clock at night in the full run of the hurricane i'm like I can't sleep and you're not know if my family's safe or not. So wow. I, I just went, I swim in, cause like the, the water was so deep, you couldn't touch. So I'm swimming and walking over like plywoods and, and like debris and trying to get to them. Cause, cause there was no light, there was no road light. So I'm in pure darkness. I'm just going off, off like the, the directions they gave me and I'm swimming. And what happened was the water was so high, this barbed wire fence caught my Gore-Tex sim suit. My leg and my boots got caught into it. And as I was like trying in the water, I went down and tried to declare it. The water was moving so fast. I started, debris started to pack on me in the water. Cause I'm a pretty strong swimmer growing up on the island or what's not, but there's nothing compared to being in the water and having plywoods and debris stacked on you. It'll drown you quicker than you could even imagine. Cause there's no way you could push a plywood off of you on the water. That's impossible. Nobody can do it. There's no footing. And mm -hmm. I'm getting drowned at this point with my foot stuck in this barbed wire fence. And I'm like taking in water in my mouth. But thank God that Yeti backpack I had on my back, it's like water, it's like air shut. So it kind of found, I think that air, that Yeti backpack I was on the water found a soft spot in the debris and it kind of like buoyed me up a little bit where I could uh, get air and it pulled me up a little bit and I could be able to breathe and I went, and I went back down and I just ripped my foot out of this barbed wire and I continued on going where they sent me. And I was like, I got like close to the area where they saw, I saw like a flicker of a flashlight because there was no light in the night. So I was like, that gotta be a spot. That's where humans are. So I made my way there, and when I get there, there's about eight guys outside sitting on these stunken cars, just sitting out there and looking. I'm like, is Georgina in this house? And they're like, man, there's a lot of women and kids inside. You got to go inside and check. So I'm like, all right. And I jumped through this window. When I jumped through this window, there's about 30 people in this house standing up in water knee high. And I'm like, is Georgina in this house? And he's like, I don't know. There's a lot of women and kids in the back room. Check the back room. So I'm wading through water in these people's house. And I get to the back room. And sure enough, there she is sitting in wow. this bed with my little girl and her boy. And they're like, like four other women with kids with her. I'm like, thank God. And everybody's looking at me like a ghost. They're like, dude, where do you come from in this? I'm like, somebody gave me this house direction. And I know my family is here. And I wasn't stopping until I got here. Wow. And sure enough, I got there. But we got, I couldn't evacuate them that night because it was so bad and I almost drowned getting there and what's not. 
So I had to stay there that night until day clear. So I slept in. This car was kind of partially leaning on the sidewalk. So I kind of opened the door and I crawled into it. And I kind of like, that's where I was like spend that hurricane and I was sleeping in there. And for a brief minute, like my eyes shut. Like I forgot what was going on. I was so tired and exhausted from swimming all night and rescuing people all night. For a split second, I forgot about the entire hurricane. I was so tired in this car, but it's part, I'm like, Water's in the car, but I'm on the back seat, just laying like 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 a coffin state, just laying there still. I fell asleep a little bit, my hands slip off of my chest, and it hits the water, and the reality kicks right back, and I'm like, you can't sleep, Trial. I was like, you're not in no place to be sleeping right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I'm back up, and I'm like, just like there, like full, like all night, I just sat there, and the minute the light cleared, just, and all night you hear stuff banging around in the distance, it's going crazy. And the first sign of daylight, man, like, I got, I tell her, I'm like, love, we're going to have to get out of here. Like, we're going to have to get to this house. And I, so I get her. I have my little girl in my arm and my girlfriend's with me. So I'm trying to find the safest route back to this house that I guess came from where I left the family. And I'm swimming with my little girl. And as I'm looking in her face, she's just smiling. And because the rain is hitting in her face and she's feeling the breeze, she has no idea what's going on. And she's probably at this point, she's like, uh... Uh, 10 months so she just is like laughing and I'm like I'm just looking at her as I swim with her with one hand I'm like you have no idea what's going on to you and she just just smiled and I finally got back to that house that I left the rest of them and I, when like her family saw me coming back with her uh, my little girl and her, and, her, and, her, and her brother they was just like so relieved and I found them I brought them back to the house and we kind of I got them in and then another day another heart that, that, that was still beating it came, it came right back down still strong still carrying on carried out that night spend a week in those strangers house but never saw one search and rescue for a week in these strangers house but every day me and three other guys will have to leave this house to go savage goods and i had to get milk for my baby because we lost like everything was destroyed so we had to like go to savage stores that was destroyed and get milk and water and basically food or whatever you could find and that's what wow. everybody was doing for i was doing that for like a week man and it was like crazy the way it would happen it was Dude, it was like unnerving. It was like every man for himself, you know. It was crazy. It took mankind like three days to turn on each other. For people to start take the fresh water and like goods from other people, it was less fortunate to defend them off or what's not. And they basically a lot of people lose their biting dogs before the hurricane really hit because they didn't want their dogs to drown with the water. But like the third day when this water started subsiding, the sun came out. These dogs started to attack people walking around who was, who was abandoning. People had to go around and fortunately shoot the dogs because they were attacking women and kids walking around after the hurricane. So not only you had the hurricane to contend with, you had the wild, you had the dog, the biting dogs, the people to lose. Then you had the people that's taking the goods from others, the water, the drinking water and the goods because they're trying to survive. And then you had like the fourth day, all the mosquitoes and insects move back into the neighborhood and they started to basically bite and suck on the deceased and what's not and then they started to bite the healthy people and then the water got stagnant with all of the bacteria and there's everybody with open source at this point it's like splinters and debris from in the hurricane cut everybody and everybody had open source so you're walking in stagnant water with bacteria people's skin started to break out in hive after a week it was like so it wasn't just a hurricane to contend with it was so many other things to contend with after the hurricane. Mm -hmm. So, like, it was traumatizing, man, and to not see any search and rescue for that long. But
but like, it was so fortunate that a lot of uh, private uh, construction guys, some of their equipment didn't get damaged, so they used their backhoes to clear the road. So a lot of people got to get to the airport or get to where they was actually evacuating people. And we managed to flush out an old car, me and a few friends, and get my family and get them to the airport. And when I got out of there, like, after a week, it was, like, the most relieving wow. thing on earth, man. And how do you feel like that shaped you, that experience? That experience have, like, basically, it has changed my entire perspective on life and, like, how I treat people or how I take, I don't take nothing for granted anymore because life could be taken away so fast, you know, and. So I don't hold anything dear to me other than family and life. Like, there's, like, anything else, like, properties and, like, stuff that doesn't matter to me anymore. There's, like, no more care to be, have the, the nice car or the nice truck or the nice home. It's more or less, like, showing people why it's a living. You love them and spending time with the real people that you love and cherishing those moments, mm. man. That's good. And then fast forward, you guys start to rebuild your life and you end up being a guide again, getting yeah. back on your feet. And you're, you're, you have a different perspective. How did that play out in your guiding? It played out in my guiding a lot. I think and over the years, i gotten a little cocky, you know, a little, like, chest puffing. But, like, that hurricane really showed me that you really got to be humble. And it's the only way to be in life is humble, you know. And it's humbled me a lot. And I'm way more humble. I'm way more, like, understanding. And I think, like, I get life now. I get a better respect from life now. Cause it showed you like it showed me that I could have been taken away like just like that, you know. And it showed, like it almost gave me a second chance because I have a lot of friends that was in it that didn't make it out. So like it showed you that don't take nothing for granted, you know, and don't take people for granted because like you never know when it can be all over. Mm, that's good. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about something I also know you're passionate about, other than family, <laughs> which is fishing. Definitely. <laughs> so for you. You know, you're a kid and you watch these guys and they go out every single day and their job is to take people fishing. Mm -hmm. And then now you go through a tough life, you go through that hurricane. Now, every day here at Soulfly, basically, you get to take people out and share something that matters to you. Why does it matter so much to you? It matters so much to me because, like, you know, I'm still here and I still have so much to give, you know, and like every day that I'm here that I get to fish again, it's a treat. Life is like a treat as it is, and to take people and still be able to be doing what I love after the hurricane was a treat for me. And I try to like get to show people like when they hear in the Bahamas, like don't just come out here and just let's be so focused on catching the fish, not actually taking in the beauty. Look around, hear the ocean, feel, just look, you know, just don't be so caught up on the fish because it's not always about the fish. You gotta take in nature, enjoy it, because you know, because like it could be gone in no time, like I said. So, kind of like seize the moment you're in more or less than you know, thinking about things that you have no control over or something you can't control. And I always like copy DM, baby, seize the moment. <laughs> yeah. And and is your favorite species a target right now? Permit. I'll, actually, I love any. I love hunting any fish, but I love hunting primate more. I believe because of their tricky and wary nature, and they're such a different personality fish, man. I love hunt a lot of fish in the salt water, but once it comes to personality and stuffy and just like being naughty, uh, the primate is still a boss of that, <laughs> and I don't shy away from a challenge. And mm -hmm. and them being the most challenging fish in the sea on fly. I welcome the challenge. So I always like, you know, they, they kick me a lot, but I kick back. <laughs> so if there were such a thing, what would the perfect approach on a permit be? 
man, don't read, don't think, <laughs> don't do nothing. Like catching your permit, your mind got to be absolutely clear. I totally believe in sending bad juju down that line. <laughs> because <laughs> I was saying clients just, I could, I could basically feel the vibration and it's like, a face is feeling that tension you're sitting down the line and just stripping everything. So it's almost like you have to control yourself in that moment. And it's a split second of self-control. And if you can't do it, it's almost like it doesn't happen because it, you know you could see it, you want it. But if you can't control yourself, you're not going to get it. So it's like almost like you got to contain your excitement until you get it. And that's hard for people to do. You can imagine you're excited already to contain that for a minute. And so it's like a battle between you and that fish, you know. So I love that whole that process of having to be so in tune with it and so cut off from everything what's going on around you. And it's just, there's the fish, be the fish, get the fish. <laughs> As a guide, like when from your from your perspective, obviously you have your client on the front of the boat and they have to make the cast and you could talk them through presentation. But as a guide trying to understand their behaviors and what they do and where they go and why they do it, how do you approach that aspect? Ah, uh, that aspect, like, basically, like, permits, like, they love, like, on the flats, but they also love uh, easy escape to deep water. So they love, like, channels, and so they're wary natured by, that's just them, a permit, just, their whole nature is wary nature, and they're always thinking of the great escape. So they don't never be way up on the flat where if you hook in them, they have a hard time getting to deep water. They kind of play those things very closely, flat and deep water, because they want to escape you. you know? They don't want to make it, make it too easy on you. And like over the years of hunting them, I've had to learn, like, you gotta, like I said, you got to control yourself. So if I'm basically coming off of the climb, like, here he comes, here he comes, you got to go now, you got to go now. And I, I turn into a drill sergeant in that moment. It throws that client energy totally off. And now I got him rushing and trying to hurry, get a cast out there. And so it's like I'm getting in his head, but just by the way I speak. So over the years, I've had to learn, like, all right, John, here we go. Point you out at 11 o'clock. Do you see him? I say, yeah. And so I kind of like, the, the way I talk to you, I soothe you down. And I like so I client cast. I could see the buck fever. I could see the knees like shaking. And I'm always in the back of the air like, control yourself, John control yourself. I could see the panic from here. Control yourself. Woosa. Woosa. <laughs> so I'm all like a therapist going through that the whole process. I'm calming you down because I can see the tension from back there. So I'm trying to like, the way I speak to you, I'm keeping that energy like as low as possible in that boat. So the, like, the calmer my voice is, the calmer you're going to be. But if I'm like a drill, I'm like, go, go, go. It's now, it's now. Which you know, a lot of guys do because they're excited. You could hear the excitement in their voice. I try to contain the excitement in my voice with clients when they're fishing for them to help them be more at ease to make that cast and make it count. Mm. Mm -hmm. So what, what are the big mistakes that people make on the bow of the boat with permit fishing? Uh, the foot movements, uh, Murphy Law. Uh, it's like, where do you start? Because, <laughs> like, the whole, I, like, I have a permit speech, and it's just control yourself. And that's all you got to do. Because most people see them, buck fever sets in, Murphy Law walks up on them on the bow and throws hands around them. Everything goes wrong. And, like, always waiting, never ready. And that's what fishing for primitives. <laughs> you all, you sit there waiting, and all of a sudden, oh, here he comes, and it's like it's on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so exciting when it's like, oh, I don't know, what do I do? How do I get it there? And it's like, but I'm always trying to control that environment. That's my that's the one that's my number one thing, keeping the environment controlled. That's and that's what I try to do. I don't focus so much on the fish. I focus on the client. You know, like controlling his energy so he could get it done. Because that fish is he's gonna do what he's gonna do, but that client is like. 
you know, I'm, I'm working on him watering that fish. <laughs> what, what, uh, like, so obviously you try to soothe your voice. You try to say, okay, hey, point your rod tip. Do you see him? Do you see him? Talk me through, like, me and you are on the boat right now mm-hmm. and the perfect scenarios going on. Give me a full talk through here. Oh, definitely. We see this fish. I'm like, all right, John, do you see him? Like, oh, he's at 11 o'clock. Right now he's at 95 feet. I'll, uh, I'll have him make visual first. Like, you got him? Yes. I'm like, all right, now I'm going to turn this boat. Do you see how he's working? I'm like, look at that fish, John. Like, I see him, I see him. And he's like, I can see he's getting jittery. I'm like, match his energy. i like, does that fish spooking? Is he moving fast? He's like, no. I'm like, look at him. He's happy. He's tailing. He's working slow. Match his energy. You don't got you don't gotta be faster than him. You gotta try to hurry up, get it there. Match that fish energy. And that's always I try to like show them like that fish is not spook. He's happy. You'll be happy. Woosa, calm down. Basically, they get it when I say match that fish energy. Because if the fish is moving fast, then they know they gotta really gotta hurry, get their cast out there. So they're watching that fish energy, and if you gotta match it, if he's trying to get out of there, you gotta try hurry, get a cast on him. But if he's a happy tailing fish, you got more than enough time in the world to make sure your line is clear, where you're gonna put it, how you're gonna put it. He's going left, he's going right. So it's like I'm gonna like watch him. And so you, when you start to watch him, you kind of understand a little better. Then I can tell you how to calm down because you can see the energy that fish is giving off by the way he's working that flat. Mm-hmm. And then talk me through presentation. Boom, um, shots in front of him. How far do you like it? How fast do you like it? What are you thinking? Oh, primitive. Like, like there's no perfect answer for that, to tell you the truth. Because, <laughs> like, it's all their behavior. Because I, like, I could tell a fish you want to strip a little faster on or a fish you want to slow. Like, like I said, that body energy, that they, they, could give, they give off, like, that they speak to their body. I could tell a language, all right, we're going to need long, slow strip on this one. Uh, all right, John, this one you're going to need how to give it a little long, little long, more quicker strips or short pop, pop to get his attention. So I kind of play with different stripping technique. I don't always stick to one thing, because with primit, nobody's a primit guru, man. Somebody tell you they're lying, because the, yeah. <laughs> those fish are, their behavior is so out of this world, like you can never figure it out, you know? And that's just the fun part of it. They make it so hard on you. Like we're like glutton for punishment, because everybody wants them, but they treat you so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. love it. And then, you, and then you hear stories about guys that, they didn't really want it that bad and they got it. Exactly. Those guys, that's why they don't like, I've had caught, I've caught Primit with clients that didn't even know what they caught. And like, I'm like, cause he's, I'm like, John, you see that? He's like, yeah. And he gets like, cause he didn't know what it was. He just put a cast in there. Primit came over, grabbed it, ate it. And I was be afraid that I'm screaming hard. And I'm like, John, he's just looking back at me like, is this a good one? Is this a good one? <laughs> I'm like, dude, you got hit with lightning. <laughs> you mean? And then he's like, it's a, what's a, what's a kind of fish is it? I'm like, Dude, you don't know what has happened, do you? He's like, no. And then he get back to the lodge. He tells the manager, oh, we caught a primitive today. He's like, what? And then he sees the excitement from the lodge. He's like, oh, it's a, it's a good thing. I'm like, <laughs> you know, so they don't, they don't know. And I've caught primitive people that don't know. And it's like, it almost feels like a defeat when they catch a primitive somebody that doesn't know. It's, I feel defeated. I'm like, that guy didn't even appreciate it. <laughs> That's how it works sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. you don't know to appreciate it, you know. But he gets like, I'm like, man, you did great. And like, so you, they really, and then they kind of get into it. They're like, oh, man, Charles, I see what you're starting. I'll see them. Yeah, they're like, Charles, man, I, I'm snake bitten now. Like, I've talked to friends. I caught from it. And like, I didn't know. I'm sorry. And it's like, it's great to get people on a fish that don't know the, the value of it. Mm. But see, it's funny that you say match the energy of the fish and being calm because I, from my limited experience with you, you don't seem like a very calm person. Exactly. I'm high sprung energy, man. Just by Have talking. you always been that way? Definitely. Never change. How, how, do you, how does that help? 
Because I understand like what you're saying with like coaching people through, you know, coaching people through a shot, you're going to calm down and, and talk to them. But do you feel like outside of the shots, do you feel like your personality and energy helps in any way? Yeah, because like I'm a happy-go-lucky guy any day, all day. But like when we see a fish, I, I, I don't turn into a drill sergeant, but you could hear with my voice the seriousness in it. Like I'm like, all right, John, we had fun and jokes all the time. We didn't see any fish, but here's a fish. Do you see him? You got him. We're getting this. And so my, the tone of voice change. They because I get clown and crack joke all day, and people are having a good time. But it's like, man, but when Trout sees a fish, you know it, and you know it's on. So I don't have to explain that energy when we see a play. Because mm. most of my clients say no. Like once I spot him, all the jokes are out of the window. It's game time. We're in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if, when that fishes leave, we're right back to laughing, hooting, and hollering, and having a good time. But once mm -hmm. we see something else, it's like so. That means I never keep the day on that whole hunting, like, uh, like because like clients, if you're not saying nothing, but you still got that like hunting drill sergeant mentality throughout the whole day. Clients are, it's not a fun day, you know, and it kind of rub a lot of clients the wrong way. So I try to be telling jokes, cracking jokes, having a good time because I could see fish way off in the distance. And I know I'm not disturbing disturbing them, but at the same time, I'm giving clients so many other things to focus on other than just attention of catching a fish. But once we see it, to know the importance of, we're probably not going to get a shot for a couple of minutes. So now is now is now, and make it count. And that's just the game I play. Yeah. <laughs> so you've you've had the opportunity too to go and to fish with different guides, some great guides all around different fisheries around the U.S. and, and beyond. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, too, like, as you think about your upbringing in the Bahamian culture and then you meet and interact with other great anglers, whether it's on your skiff or whether it's on your trips, mm -hmm. are there certain things that your favorite song, Island Boy, um, <laughs> are there certain things that being a, a Bahamian-raised guide and angler you feel like you bring to the table that's unique or special that other people could learn from? Oh, yeah, being an island boy and grow, like, basically, if you're in the Bahamas and we, we grew up, everybody in the Bahamas grew up around, we were on the salt water 24-7. Everybody knew how to swim, know how to fish. So no matter how the cat jumps, like, if you're a bohemian, you're going to be around the salt water. And so at the same time, like, growing up around, I think being around, like, the lodge from such a young age, I've learned to interact with so many different people from so many different walks of life. So I've had a, like a head start with communication with people and meeting people. And I'm like a sponge when it comes to meeting because like everybody can teach you something, you know, that you didn't know. And I love that and I love learning. And I love listening. And when I get a chance to fish around guides from the States or from different walks of life and we get shared stories, it's amazing, you know, what they have experienced. And sometimes it's the same thing, even though it's a different fish, we relate to our behavior or body language or cast or like I'm like always absorbing whatever I get from anybody everywhere. Like like I said, I'm not just hooked or bent on permit. I'm hooked on hunting. <laughs> I love hunting a fish, whether it be a trout or anything. I just want a tight line and I just love the whole approach of tricking something with a fake lure. I don't know, something about making a fish eat something that's not real. It's mm -hmm. like it's very enjoyable for me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think too, like you, you talked about, you're like a sponge. When you look back at all that, are there certain big milestone lessons that you learned that you felt like were big light bulbs that you brought back here and changed the way that you approach everything? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Yes. And it's be, uh, stay humble. Because, like, a lot of guides, we kind of intend to get big egos, and guides are very territorial, and guides don't share information with each other. 
and I've had to learn it, that don't get you anywhere. You know, because like there's so many other knowledge in these other guys that you should want that, that stuff that you don't know, you know, that they can teach you. And it's like, like I said, guys are very prideful and they don't like to share stuff. I know a lot of guy buddies that, dude, like you would be having like fish conversation. I'm like, what creek did you go on the date? Oh, and they got to give you the, the general area. Oh, I guess when I'm south. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, they, gotta, like, they think you're going to discover out their honey spot and everybody think it's their honey spot until they meet somebody else in it. <laughs> they still think where, where I'm at, they still think it is. <laughs> like, only me one knows where the spot is. I'm like, nah, no, bro. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you know, so it's, like, it's always funny to figure out. Like, and I'll like, always like, like jeer and mess with them. Like, you were in your honey spot the day where I saw you? Like, men used to me. <laughs> so I'm always like, God, I'm like, you didn't see me today. I'm like, I saw you today. So it's always fun to get in the other guy's head, you know, just like mess with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I could really pick up too that you guys are kind of have a lot of fun with each other and joke around a lot. And, oh, yeah. and I, think, I think that keeps like, you know, keeps you all in a spot where you can be more pleasant when people come around you and guide with you. And, <laughs> you know, if you got a bunch of drama going on all the time know, and then right? you get on the boat and now you're going to try to pretend like, like everything's good and yeah, and, uh, but it's like, I can say, but like you say, once it's all well, I love, I dislodge a Soulfly Lodge, all the guides are so well knitted. It's like mm -hmm. a big glove. Everybody gets along, everybody share information. And it's like, I've guided to a few different lodges in my, in the past. But this is the like the spot where I first spot I've ever met that all the guides actually jam and they're so tight and they, they share it so much. You yeah. know, like I said, I'm like, I'm like, whoa, this is nice. <laughs> so it's like a different, like it's a different experience after all of the years of being around. Even my dad doesn't share a lot of information either because he's a guy. He'd be like, uh, yeah, he's still stuffy with a lot of the stuff. He think I don't know a lot of this info. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about, yeah, like, so tell me about, you know, we're, we're releasing an interview, too, with Percy. Mm -hmm. Tell me about getting to work with Percy and what that means to you. Oh, man, that's a very interesting story. <laughs> like, I've known Percy before I've met him. Let me put it like that, because we have fished so many of the same clients over the years, and I'll fish a client that me and him have been fishing with for quite a few years. He'll always talk about Percy and the guy in the Barry Islands. He loved the company. He's the only guy he fished with over here, go permit fishing with. So I always heard his name ring and ring, but I never saw him. And then it was so funny to come over here at Soulfly Lodge to actually meet the, the man, the legend. And when we met, it was just like basically love at first sight and just like sharing information and we just jammed from the first time we met to the day, man. It was like, it's almost like meeting your friend that you never met before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was just like love at first sight. And like, I, we talked about the clients we fished together and the permit we've caught with them and all the experience we've shared and what's not. And it was like, you know, so his, the uh, meeting him in person basically preceded the, the, the talks on the street. It was like way better. <laughs> yeah. And you guys have very different personalities. How does that play out? It's, it's very interesting because Percy's like the quiet, like humble silver fox. He's like he's a man of little words, but like when he talk, he means what he say, and he's he's spot on, correct with whatever comes out of his mouth. He knows his stuff, you know. And just so, but me, I'm just a loud mouth. I talk all the time. I crack a lot of jokes, and so I I, I always was wondering, will I rub him wrong with the jokes I tell and how I come off and. I don't find myself always making him laugh, you know, there's the stuff I jeer at him, I poke at him all the time, and so I basically keep him on his toes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
And so. <laughs> it's, it's neat too around here. One of the dynamics is like, you know, you got, you know, the Schaefer family here oh. at the lodge. And, yeah. you know, I know that they call you Uncle Travis. Oh, definitely. And uh, <laughs> tell me too about like, you talked about the guides get along, but tell me about the full dynamic too about what makes this place special to you. Man, I think what makes this place home is Kyle and Kitchen to tell you the truth because they, they're the ones that brought us all together, you know? And it was like, no, it's a, for the first time, nobody thought it was going to be this smooth and this great and this nice and everything just like, just took off running. The whole business just took off on their feet because Kyle and Katrina are such great people and they're sincere. They care about you, you know, and they, they want to know if like if something's not going correct and they kind of like, is everything okay? And they all, and they're, so they're inconsistently checking to make sure all the guides are happy, mm-hmm. everything's going smooth and what's not. And sure enough, they do a great job at it. All the guides are happy. Everybody loves them. And an island boy, an island boy is like the gym. He, he runs the place, actually. <laughs> you know, Kyle didn't know about that till this morning, who the island boys were. I, I was like crazy. I always call it like little man island boy, like Mike island boy. And he's like, who's island boy? I'm like, all of us are island boys. We grew up on the island. We eat coconut. We fish. We dive. We hunt. <laughs> Let's see. I didn't know about it until Halloween, and then a bunch of people I knew were dressed up that way. And I was like, "Why are they dressed up that way?" And then I was like, "Man, I don't know, man. Like that's kind of weird to be dressed up like that." They're an and, island boy. And then, and then they were like, they were like uh, "Oh, it's a TikTok video." I don't have TikTok, and I this no, I don't have it showed, showed me, and then you told me that. That's not even an original song. No, that isn't. It. That's a Bahamian song. It's like you would actually like check as island, but they say island boys like they sing it all the time. And island boy means diving, eating conch salad, playing domino, climbing coconut trees, going fishing, going diving, just being a salty island boy. You know, and it's like you you can't be an island boy if you can't fish. What kind of island boy are you? <laughs> <laughs> you need to invite them to fish. See uh, if they can. Dude, I could look at these dudes and see they can't fish. I yeah, but you like, know what? <laughs> they probably catch a permit. Beginner's luck. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of fun to interview somebody that's at, at your point, I think, in your career because you've been around long enough to really take in a lot and develop your own style as a guide. But then at the same time, you got a lot, a lot of years in front of you, hopefully. Yeah. When you think about those years in front of you, what do you hope for? Man, I don't know what I hope. Like, it's so easy. I just want to catch something big and amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always hunting the next big monster on the flat, you know. And and coming here to the Berry Islands, I've seen quite a few big fish, bonefish, and primate. And it was like, yeah, you're going to make me famous. So like I was always the big time, and I always trying to figure out their patterns and what's not. So my challenge, I challenge myself all the time to go beyond. And like I'm not a primitive guru. Like I'm, I have a good idea on how they think, but and I'm always trying to like and make it better. But it's like every time I think I'm figuring them out, they give me the slip, <laughs> and homework's out all over. So it's like. It's a never-ending battle, and I love it because it keeps my mind active. Like, you never stop thinking about your fishing guide because, like, if you think about it, that's a wild animal that don't want to be caught, don't want to be found. And if you think about it, like, think about it, look at it like this. The ocean is, like, pretty vast, very vast, and there's fish is not everywhere in the ocean. Fish is, like, I'll say in an entire ocean, fish is in, like, 
what are we, 50% of the ocean in certain areas and pockets, so you gotta find where they hang out. They're not everywhere. So it's like, it's almost like getting, like, on, like learning nature, understanding nature, and what a lot of people don't know like, is fish and animals repeat the same practice every year. Like, you go through every year, August, April, May, June, July, whatever, which in, in every different month, they behave kind of, it's like the same. They repeat the same behavior every year, but it kind of changes if like you kind of like, if you catch on to something, for instance, a, a bonefish behavior or a flat they feed on, and you catch on to it that they feed on the flat on certain tides, and you kind of keep going on to them that same tide, they catch, if you hunt something long enough, it becomes smart to you. So they kind of change that behavior, and the minute they change that behavior, you're back to zero. You're like, holy smokes, they used to always love this flat, <laughs> but they're not there anymore. So it's like back to square one. Where did they go? Why did they change? The, the, what, what pushed them is so it's like your mind is right back to that hole rattling that cage again to try to get on top of them again and figuring out. And that's why, that's what I love about it. You never fully figure it out. And so you never get bored of it because your mind is always racing to try to figure it out and to be better at it. And, you know, so that's why, like, anytime somebody says they're, they're a primitive guru and they understand it and it's already like they, they don't need to learn any, you're a liar. <laughs> what, like, when you think about the future, too, like, obviously you want to catch more fish and you want to be a better guide. But, like, what skills are you wanting to grow in right now? What's on your, what's on your list of just, man, I'm really trying to. Man. Improve this. I don't know. What am I trying to improve? Man, I'll, I'll like tell you to do nothing. I just want to have a good time hunting fish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to turn it into a, like a job. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, because the minute you lose the fun out of it, if I guess get so hard onto a primitive, I'm a primitive guru and I'm hunting this hard and I'm putting. It'll kind of, it's, it's work at that point, and like fishing should never be work. We fish to get rid of stress, not create it. So I don't want to be stressful out there overthinking things. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep it as much fun as possible. Mm -hmm. So for you, you know, you've obviously been able to, you know, you grew up around guides, and you get to work with guides here, you get to work with Percy. But what's been the most shaping thing for you or helpful thing outside of just time on the water? The most shapeful thing for me, I think, in, on the water and spending time with... It's been around legends like Percy and a few other guys back home that actually been in the game for, like you said, for years. I'm fairly young into the game for years, and to be willing to share the information with me. Like I said, like, which, you know, a lot of guys are not open with information, but the legends, like, they want to keep their secrets. A lot of them want to take it to the grave. And that is nothing so beautiful that when a legend actually wants to give you his information and for free, and, like, I want it, you know? Because <laughs> I want that extra edge. I want that secret I didn't know. I want to know about that behavior that I didn't haven't figured out. And I can't do it all by myself. And it's like, it, like it takes a village, you know, to, to raise a child, like they say. And I'm that child. I need the village to raise me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed hanging out. And, and, and my last kind of question for you, and there's a ton of stuff we can do. We'll definitely do more podcasts down the road. I have a mm -hmm. feeling we'll bump into each other a good bit the next 20 years. But, oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, if you could go back to yourself, that kid sitting on the bridge watching those guides go out, what life advice are you going to give them? Man, you did good, kid. <laughs> Evacuate Dorian. <laughs> Evacuate Dorian. Leave the island. Like, because that would be like, I actually won't change that. 
I, it was a great learning experience. Even though it was sad and as bad as it was, it opened up so many different doors and opportunities. And like I said, I was cocky for a minute. It humbled me. So I would never change that because it played a big role in my life today mm-hmm. as it did. And I would never end up here if it didn't happen. I love it here, you know, and I love this fishery here. So I wouldn't change none of it, even though the bad, I'll, I take the bad that comes with it. But I basically learned a lot from it and I appreciated it, you know. Mm. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all that and sharing <laughs> your life and story and uh, look yeah. forward to fishing with you soon. Most definitely. I look forward to fishing you as well. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective.